Welcome. I'm Ron Baker, director of the Canadian Small Church Ministry Center, sponsored by Small Church Connections. And this is us, Canadian Small Churches in Action podcast. Today, we have another guest with us who is going to talk a little bit about refugees and her own experience uh, in dealing with refugees and bringing refugees to Canada and working on that whole area. And so I'm going to just let her introduce herself and just maybe some of uh, your own background, your ministry background, the type of things that you've done uh, over the years. And uh, that may even just lead us into talking a little bit about the work that you've done with refugees over the years. So uh, this is her, uh, Susan. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're up. Hi, yes, I'm Susan Saunders. And uh, I live in a very, very rural area of Nova Scotia. Uh, middle of the Annapolis Valley and our town, our nearest town, Bridgetown, has about 500 people. Um, I grew up here on a small farm and so the little church up the road was the heart of the community and anybody who went to church, mostly, uh, went to our little Baptist church and a few people moved in and they were Church of England or Anglican now so they went to town, but most of us went to Sunday school and then taught Sunday school and then went to church at this little church. And the little church is um, in my rural community and it was built as a school originally, but in 1897, it became solely a, um, an outreach church for mm. Paradise Baptist Church. So the Paradise United Baptist Church um, was on the main road, but in those days, it wasn't that easy for people to travel. So they thought, well, it would be easier for the residents here to come to the little church. And right now that's the only property that Paradise United Baptist Church owns because oh. since it all the refugee work and everything, we had to sell our big building and the parsonage, but we still have this little uh, West Paradise church. Um, mm. and belongs to the Paradise United Baptist Church. So I went off to college and university and moved to Manitoba and taught school there. There was a church there that I, I went to, but I wasn't very church going in those days. You know, I just think it was important. So like a lot of people strayed. Yeah. When I came back here and settled and had a job and and a nice husband, um, I became interested in the church again. Oh, okay. And so I've had all kinds of um, different, I don't know what you'd call them, posts. I am mm -hmm. a deacon. I've been a deacon a couple of times. It's not something oh, okay. everybody do, I guess. And I've been a treasurer and I've been on lots of committees. And I went on a little mission trip to Happy Valley Goose Bay mm. a few go and that was really interesting i did a little write-up for tidings a little photojournalism for tidings magazine for mm -hmm. abw but um and then my i think my biggest mission work was with the refugees with the refugee families the whole community seemed to be excited when we were first talking about bringing in refugees from mostly syria yeah and i don't know if it was because it was new but um, everybody wanted to help, you know, by 
providing funds, providing goods. Mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't involved um, with the first family that we brought. The first family that came to Bridgetown was from Syria, okay. and it mother and I believe five daughters, lovely daughters. Oh yeah. And um, the Paradise Group, Paradise Refugee Support Group, started mm. then. Um, but I was just on the fringes of that. I wasn't directly involved. But um, the whole town um, wanted to participate in some way. So a house was provided and furnishings and everything that a family would need was provided. Um, ESL was set up so all of the girls and the mother could have English as a second language training. Um, so uh, there are medical, like there's so much to yeah. do. Well, I, I, I was, I, I guess I was going to ask some of, some of those questions of those very okay. nuts and bolts type of things that, that come with uh, bringing a refugee to Canada. Um, first off, it, you you said you weren't you know on the f- the first original uh, group. Mm-hmm. I did talk with Mark Reese uh, recently, and he's he talked a little bit about that group coming to town. And so, when when you look at it, what what would you consider to be the 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 first thing that needed to be done? And I'll I'll let you decide what you want to answer to that, and then I'll then I'll start asking some other questions. We'll see. Mm. The first thing is really done on faith because you're looking at uh, different applicants, I call them applicants, they're not really applicants, (laughs) but CBAC would send us Jennifer Dara and Mm -hmm. and would send us uh, different um, families and we would decide if one was a good fit. First, we had to tell them that, yes, we would take a family. Oh, I guess, yeah. Mm -hmm. Not knowing anything. And then we would choose one. And all we knew about the family really was um, their point of origin. Uh, We weren't told personal information really, but we were told if their safety was involved and they had to get out quickly. Uh And we were told that uh, you don't know when they're coming. They might be coming next week and they might be coming six months from now. So you really had to have, um, because it, it was the responsibility of the group, the refugee support group, to provide them with um, housing and support them financially for six months of the year and the government, the other six in the program we were involved in. So whether they were coming, uh, whether you knew when they were coming or not, you had to have a residence set up for them. So if it was a family of five or a family of four, you could um, look for an apartment or a house that would be suitable for that many people. And of course, we're North Americans, so we would think of North American spaces. So if it was a family of you know, four, we would think, oh, at least three bedrooms. Yeah. yeah. And not realizing that some of the people <laughs> that came to us lived in one, one room and mm-hmm. covered this with one of the families. Um, there were rooms, separate bedrooms for them all. But we discovered that they often like to sleep in the same close space because that's what they do and and other groups that brought in families found that as well so getting housing and as i say we really started with no money Mm -hmm. so you 
start fundraising right away. So we had to book venues and have people help to, uh, we had committees would help set up concerts. Uh, we yard sales and you know how frustrating they are dragging all this <laughs> stuff. Yes. That tables and beating the black flies and you know walking <laughs> around the people and you know packing it all away and anyway mm -hmm. we did that a couple of times and made some money um so there's fundraising and there's housing and you might be paying rent on this apartment or house house yeah weeks but you had of it ready you couldn't bring them in unless you had it right I guess the also once you found out usually within a couple days notice um maybe a little longer that they were actually flying in on a certain time mm -hmm. uh, you had to meet them at the airport we would drive in we usually took more than one vehicle or a van and we would make a welcome sign and we'd meet them at the airport we have videos and pictures of that oh great and, yeah uh, Usually there would be, not always, but I, I found with us, there was usually one person in a family that could speak English. Mm -hmm. They would translate. A few things were lost in translation, but, you know, hand gestures can do wonderful things. There was a yep. lot of uh, that and uh, charades, but <laughs> they were very trusting. And I, I thought how very frightening it must be to come down those steps at the airport. We have a little airport in Halifax to come yeah. down those steps and see these people with signs and they're smiling at them and waving and we have flowers for them and hugging them. And they're just terrified. I, I, yeah, I guess. They, as much as we had to have faith that we would get someone that we could help and that they would come they had to have more faith than we did that they were going to be safe because how did they know really where they were going the governments yeah. all these countries were doing all these things and how did they know where they were going to end up but anyway we would go out for lunch and then we would take them to their home but before they got to their home there were a group of people who put all the provisions in the house for them like foods um oh. just foods that we thought they would like if they were from Ethiopia we would try to have the grains and the coffee they liked mm -hmm. or we th thought they would like we didn't yeah. know yeah and, um, the same for the families from Syria and we had a, a girl from Lebanon so we had to try to suit their living you know their pantries mm -hmm. things that we thought they like they soon found out where to get the things they wanted right um, people already here and they'd already found out where to buy the, the right coffee and the right grains and the right everything mm -hmm. and but that had to be there because you couldn't bring them and leave them at a house that didn't have any provisions they didn't even know where the grocery stores were when they first got here so so the the next two weeks were really um full-on mm -hmm. like ex exhausting I'm sure for them too but for the workers because in our group you only have a certain amount of people and um, I was retired some of us were retired and so we were able to be on call but some were working and couldn't and other problem problem not a problem the other situation was that some in our group were males and all of the people we brought in were females. Mm. So it was 
only appropriate that the females would go, would take people, you know, you could have a male with you, but yeah. you had to have a female. So the very next day after they arrived, we had to drive to Kenfield, which is only 40 minutes. So we drive to Kenfield. There's a, a federal government office there, immigration office. And that was mm-hmm. the first stop to apply for the permanent residency card. Oh, okay. Do government stuff, a lot of paperwork, but it could usually all be done in the day. And they weren't the first in the province. So the people there were really kind, very, very kind and made it painless. And um, so that was the very next day. And then we had to find um, a dentist and we were lucky enough in our town that the dentist offered to be the dentist for all of our families. Oh, oh, great. Yeah. And we had to find a doctor. And this was just long enough ago that there actually were still doctors who were taking patients, <laughs> not, not like the 90,000 uh, yeah. <laughs> Nova Scotia, but we could actually get a doctor. And there was a doctor um, in a clinic in Middleton who said, yes, I will look after your refugee families. And some of them had special health concerns. This was usually noted on their papers that we got before they came, if they had mm-hmm. special health concerns. And so we would already have been looking up specialists and places where we could um, get them some help that they needed. Doctors were excellent at getting them specialists and so on. But there were many appointments going back and forth to specialists to to get, you know, a family of five, which is the first one that I was involved in from ages two, grandmother. Um, That was a lot of appointments, getting all of them there second medical appointments and some of them needed specialist appointments and plus we had another person who did tip took them to all the dental appointments because they their teeth <laughs> required a lot of work mm-hmm. and that another expense uh, some thousands of dollars that we paid uh, from our group's funds for their dental work to bring it up to a standard that would be where we would have our right. teeth at the same point in time so, so, that so was- with, 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 with some of these finances, uh, was there government aid? Was there, were there other, uh, uh, how, how did that work? I mean, the group itself has fundraised and, and used their funds, as you say, towards dentistry and that type of thing. What, what kind of sharing or other financial approaches were used? Um, I don't actually remember. I think that all of the dentistry was paid for by us. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until the government um, began paying their share, you know, their half of the year. Oh, okay. That that sort of relieved some of the stress of their living expenses, but yeah. dentistry and all of that, that was on us entirely. Mm-hmm. There were other churches who were doing fundraisers for us as well, churches oh. that did have a family so they were doing fundraising and we always seemed to have what we needed um when we finished i think we did five families four or five different groups and when we stopped mostly because we were just exhausted yeah. to be honest, um uh, we we still had 750 dollars left oh, in wow. <laughs> And so we just turned it back to Jennifer Dara you know, mm-hmm. to help wherever it was needed. But I can just remember days of just, oh, everybody got Google Translate on their phones and iPads. Oh, I'll bet you. <laughs> and that was a big help. 
and we had um we would have a welcome potluck i don't know if you do potluck you oh, are but very definitely okay, very so definitely meals at somebody's house or at the church and invite the community or whoever wanted to come and you know they would be introduced to everybody and it was all warm and welcoming but i'm still i'm sure very shocking you know strange mm -hmm. um it was it was helpful when they could speak english but english wasn't always uh, uh it was didn't always help there was still a lot lost in translation yeah. and uh, we had one one person who who insisted that we take her to the airport she needed to go to toronto she she felt that we were keeping her against her will and there was oh. a translator and we tried to explain to her that we were helping her to get settled before she went to the big city and to get her refugee status and various things so your your help is not always accepted the way that you think it's going to yeah and you know, you, another thing we learned is that our um, customs are not the same everywhere. I'll, I'll betcha. We're, we're just so North American that we think that everybody thinks the same way. Um, there was a family who came, not one of ours, but they had come from uh, some somewhere in Africa, probably Ethiopia, because we had a few from there. Um, and they were used to cooking outside so they would they had all the appliances in their lovely apartment but they yeah. were still outside in the driveway so they had to kind of, you know teach them how to do things like that mm -hmm. um, the language that was my job also was setting up esl oh, okay. training to them and having volunteers there is a an excellent group, and I can't even remember the name of it now. It doesn't matter. In Kentville, it's a learning center that specializes in that, mm -hmm. and they would provide teachers, and we would find a place that would allow us and the student to go there free, and we would take them um, because all the people we had were in a town. They could walk to these various places, but one of the facilities was a church in Annapolis Royal, which is half mm -hmm. an hour. So we got uh, the transit bus gave every refugee that we had um, a free month, three months pass. Oh, wow. And they could use that. So we showed them how to use the bus. Once they went once, they were fine because mm -hmm. most of them were traveling in very busy, noisy cities. So <laughs> coming to a quiet little rural area and sitting on a quiet bus. And the bus, the first bus that they took, um, it was kind of funny because they looked around and it was a brand new bus, I have mm. to say. Like, I was quite <laughs> Yeah, It was a brand new bus and it was air conditioned and it had Wi-Fi and they were so happy because oh. they all seemed to have fun, know how to use them. And they just said, wow, this bus is so beautiful. And there were like four people on it and they were mm. half of them. So uh, taught them how to use the bus to go there another family uh, the girl one of the older ladies she was old enough i'm still young enough to be my daughter but mm -hmm. in her 20s, and her english was um to the it was good enough that she could take um an esl course through oh, okay. this training center in kentville and the local college in middleton the nscc 
provided a room for them to have their classroom. So she had other uh, refugees there. We had, there were some from Asia and some from Africa and she from Syria. And it was really, uh, really interesting, you know, the different accents, but they were all. And so I taught her how to go on the bus. I would go with her the first time and, and uh, come up and wait for her to go home on the bus. And mm -hmm. then she decided she wanted to have a job. So there is a People Works, it's called in Middleton. It's a government um, funded place and they help people to write resumes and so oh. on. So, and find jobs, they have job boards. So I took her and my cousin took her sister and we each had a, a consultant that worked just with them one-on-one -on -one and wrote a resume. There was not much to put on the resume, yeah. but made it look as good as she could. Mm -hmm. And then had a, they had free clothes there that they could choose like for work clothes and so on. But anyway, we didn't, we didn't get any of the clothes at that point, but on the way home, the first, the first day after being at people works, I said, well, I heard about some jobs. There's a huge, um, uh, indoor nursery that, that grows tomatoes and cucumbers and it's mm -hmm. run by old Denhan. And uh, they were on our way home. And I said, well, well, let's just go in and practice your skills and say that you're looking for a job and you could leave a resume, even, you know, we don't know what's going on. I said, I know the people here. So we went in and the owner came by and met us. And she said, well, I do have openings. If oh. you'd like to took us for a tour. And she said, if you'd like to have a job, you're welcome to start. And we said, when? And she said, tomorrow. <laughs> Can my sister come too? <laughs> and so we went back and we told her sister, yes, you can have a job too. So we went back to People Works and we told them we had a job for the girls. <laughs> and so they picked out work clothes because you know they had nice clothes. They all had yeah. lovely clothes. So they needed like sweatshirts and oh, work yeah. clothes. Yeah. Pledge. Because they were doing lifting and pruning and picking and and so they got their work clothes. And so uh, we took them, we drove them back and forth. I drove them the first couple of days. And then there was a lady who worked there from town to Bridgetown where they lived. And she said, I will bring the girls to work and bring them home. Oh, that so makes that sense. Yeah. For the whole season that they worked there the whole season from early spring until the, the cleanup was done and the summer. And that, and that was, that was just too easy, but that's how that worked out. And they were making, you know, what they thought was really good money. It was mm -hmm. like, you know, it was, I think, $16 an hour they were getting. And and they were working, you know, 40 hours a week. Yeah. And they find a bit. So, yeah, that really, really helped them in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember exactly how long they stayed, but about a year. Yeah, just, just before yeah. their government funding was over or our funding i'm not sure which one which one went first and they decided you know they had met people um in the cities in ontario and they wanted yeah. to go there more comfortable more people like themselves that could talk and mingle and socialize and we were sad to lose them but like all of our people moved to cities afterward but we oh, thought that okay. our best to give them a good start and our job, as, as um, Gordon Hay had said, um, our job was to get them here, to get mm -hmm. them to safety, 
to get them to Canada and to help them get established and acclimatized to our really strange way of life. <laughs> get them the cards they needed and, and that sort of thing. And that's what we did. We had Gordon who did all the paperwork. He did all of that paperwork stuff. And we were like the boots on the ground. And uh, it worked out well because he couldn't take them to a medical appointment, for example. Yeah, yeah. No. You, you just wouldn't send a man with all these women or one woman. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so with, with this now, I've, I've got a number of questions and I'll go back to the, I'll go back to the start. When, when you said, uh, when you were beginning, uh, the denomination, did they, did they play a large part in sort of getting you started and getting the wheels rolling uh, as you, as you prepared for, having a refugee come or was this a cooperative group or how, how, how did that work? Um, do you mean outside of our church? I I'm just, I'm just thinking as you looked at having a refugee come, did the um, denomination actually assist a lot at the beginning? Was that part of it or? Yeah, because we were associated with CBAC mm -hmm. with Canadian Baptist Atlantic. Um, group and so it was through them that we knew of the opportunity okay. yeah and so it was our church the baptist church that um uh worked within our own group right like we yeah. we were just a, a support group within our own church really mm -hmm. yeah and so with cbac i don't think we would have known of the opportunities but then later after we brought in a family then gordon and mark as you know, mm -hmm. went around other churches who asked them to come and speak about how they got refugee families here. So they were in one end of Nova Scotia to the other, and a <laughs> lot of other churches did bring in families after they heard our story. Yeah. Okay. And and with that, with that in mind, um, just thinking about the the assistance, or I guess the 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 start. The group itself uh, that became the the refugee committee. How was how was that formed? Is did somebody go around and just say, "Hey, you, you're it"? Or <laughs> yeah, we had a, a church meeting, mm -hmm. and they said we you know we have this committee or we want to have this committee, and I think the church had to vote on it. Oh, okay. That we that we would have this committee just to right. make it uh, acceptable, I guess, to the the church because it was affiliated with the church so it was brought up at a church meeting and voted on that yes we would start this committee and these are the people who would be on the first one mm -hmm. and people could volunteer and that's how it's, it started at the beginning yeah, yeah. okay so when i i hate to say it but i'm i'm looking at the clock because sometimes i do that and, and our time's just about up <laughs> let me let yeah, me I'm talking. I wish I could just tell you more. Oh, I, this this has been great. I've just been enjoying the stories, and and that's mm -hmm. part of what makes it easy for uh, us uh, for people listening to the podcast. We're going to sit back and say, "Hey, this is possible." I hear the story. It's 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 really something that could be done. Yeah. Do I have time to tell you just one more thing? Oh, for sure. We had one family, and they were from Ethiopia. And it was four women from the two-year-old to the grandmother and two daughters and another granddaughter. And they ordered um, traditional dresses from a dressmaker they knew. Oh. And 
they were white and they had beautiful gold braiding down the front and on them. And of course these women were beautiful and they put on these long dresses and they, we had them at the um, fundraising concert. We had them come in last to walk in the aisle. The concert was in a refurbished church, no longer a church, but still looking like a church. Yeah. And they went up on the stage and they sang four or five worship songs and danced them oh. in their own language. And then the last one they did in English, they had practiced mm-hmm. and everybody went crazy. They were beautiful. <laughs> So then we took them to two or three other churches in the area, just small little churches. And I, as I sat there, every time I watched them, I thought, I wish everybody could just see this. Mm-hmm. Like it's joyous. And I still tear up when I think about it. It was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. All right. One last question. <laughs> if, if you could sum up in a few sentences, why would you want to be why why would we want you okay i'll say i'll put this in uh, personally why do you did you want to work with refugee uh resettlement here in canada what was what was your reason that that you had for for doing that once you get out of your head the enormity of the problem like the millions that (laughs) millions yes and you tell yourself, I, I can't do anything for them. Mm-hmm. And you say, to yourself, but I can help one yeah. or maybe a family. And I am called to do that. I need to do something. And this is what we can do. Our CVAC is saying you can help in this way. Like we couldn't, we couldn't not do it. And we just said, we can't help everyone, but we can help these. And these are the ones that we're supposed to be helping. And we just felt so strongly about it mm-hmm. that we couldn't say no. We couldn't turn our head. I'll be carrying these stories with me throughout this week and thinking about them. So thank you very much.